You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Morning, church. Great to be uh, back preaching this morning and uh, at home base at our local church. I've been out preaching at some other churches, but let's face it, there's nothing quite like preaching at the best church on the planet. Um, So lovely to be with you. We're carrying on this series, Sounds Familiar, and and, and, and this particular verse that I'm preaching on this morning will definitely sound familiar, or hopefully sound familiar, or maybe you've never heard it before, and that is fantastic too. Um, It's John, and welcome also to our online um, um, friends who are... Gee, that will include my wife, so I better say only nice things this morning. I think she's online. Um, and John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a fantastic verse. And if you've thought I've heard it all before, you haven't. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth... Now, you want to say believeth at that point? It's like a kind of that King James, but it's whosoever believes... In him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What a great verse. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for my friends this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which is powerful. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, and that you would just move us on in our journey with you, Lord, whatever that might look like. I pray that my word would fall to the ground, but Lord, I pray that your word would stick in our lives and bring fruit and change. Thank you for your word, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So my mum and dad are having their 50th wedding anniversary soon, and um, <clears throat> so, you know, we're in organisation mode because we've decided to have a, um, a photo shoot, sorting all the kids out, all the grandkids out. We've got roughly 10, 11, 12, approximately, between 10 to 12 grandchildren. You know, so we're, um, it's, it's the big day and um, decided that we'd have like a little bit of a snapshot in time. This is how they want to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Let's bring all the family together and have the big photo. It's the big day. It's coming up. And so I was thinking recently about this message that I'm preaching this morning, and it got me thinking about if I took a photo right now in my life, if I took a snapshot of my life right now, who would be in my photo in my life? Who would be in my photo? But a more important question, which is the question I want you to ponder this morning, is If you took a snapshot of your life right now, if you took a photo of your life right now, where would God be in that photo? Where where is God in your photo right now? Maybe God is somewhere in the background. Maybe he's there, but he's just distant. Um, Maybe he's right up in the foreground, or maybe he's right in the center of the photo. Maybe he's photobombing. He kind of comes in and out of your photo. Maybe he's not in your photo at all. This morning, we're looking at John 3.16, and what I love about John 3.16, if you forget everything else I'm going to say this morning, this is the one key thing I want to, to share. John 3.16 is a majestic verse. John 3.16 is a, is a beautiful verse, because John 3.16 puts God right back at the center of the photo. John 3.16 puts God right back at the center of the photo. You see, Often John 3.16 is, is thrown out there like it's like a cooking book recipe, that it's, or, or it's kind of like um, steps to peace with God. It's like a kind of a maths formula. But I want to suggest this morning that actually John chapter 3, verse 16, is about who God is, what he has done in human history so that he might reach all of humanity. See, John 3.16 is not about man or human beings trying to reach up to connect with God. 
John 3.16 is about who God is. It's about his character and what he has done to reach all of humanity. And, um, and that's what I love as I was kind of reflecting on John 3.16. Often it's, it, it's, it's shared in a way that it's kind of like, you know, you follow these steps, but actually there's so much depth to John 3.16 about who God is. So we, what we're going to do this morning is for a few minutes, I'm going to walk us through John 3.16, and let's face it, you could spend the entire year preaching on John 3.16 and still need to carry on over the next year. There is so much to be said about this one verse, but I've just got a few minutes this morning, and I'm going to share a few points about who God is and what he has done in human history, and it is powerful. And as I do, I want you to reflect on who God is and where he is in your photo. So my first point this morning, let's get into it, is number one, God acts. God acts. In the 17th century, there was a philosophy known as deitism. The deitists believed in two essential points. One, they believed that God exists. In the 17th century, people had no problem believing in God. They had no problem at believing in that God created the universe and God created the world. What they had a problem with is their second belief. Their second belief of deism was that God doesn't act in human history. What happens is that God... <clears throat> has effectively created the universe. He's created life. He's created natural laws and, and physical laws, and then he stepped away from his universe and let it carry on. In other words, they believe that God is not active in human history. A famous deitist was Benjamin Franklin. He was probably one of the kind of the, the leading thinkers at the time. And Benjamin Franklin fundamentally believed this. They believe that God only exists, but he does not act. God only exists, but he does not act, and he has not acted in human history. One of the famous theories was the clockwork universe theory, this idea that the universe is basically like a kind of clockwork, that God has kind of wound up the universe, he's, got it, he's set it in motion, and then he stepped away from his creation, that God is not interested in his creation. There is a difference between believing that God exists and that God acts, and so I was thinking this morning about my photo and your photo. Do you believe that God exists or that he actually is active in your photo? The gospel starts with these words. The first opening two words of John 3.16, for God, God acts, for God, for God acts. At the end of the day, I'll catch up with my family, catch up with, we'll all put our devices down, and I say to the kids, right, let's catch up for a bit, of a bit of a Bible study. And look, I'm a preacher, teacher kind of personality, so they have to listen to me kind of. And, um, and then what we do is that we um, ask a question. And this question is based on a famous saint called Saint Ignatius. Saint Ignatius lived many years ago. And what he would do at the end of his day before he went to bed is he would ask a question, which is, where was God for me today? What a great question. So we go around as a family, Connor, Charlotte, Thomas, Lisa, say, where was God for you today? Because God is active in your photo today. God is active in your photo today. And that's for free, by the way. You can take that home and use that with your, your family um, at the end of the day. And, but what a great question to ask your family. Where was God for you today? God is active. God acts. Second point, God loves. God loves. For God so loved, so loved. You see, the deities say that God is not interested in the sad world. 
that God simply created the universe, that he created the world and then he stepped apart from it and he's not interested. But the gospel says no, for God so loved the world, so loved the world. Let me break this down for you. So loved, the Greek word for so is translated in this way. So a better way to actually translate John 3.16 from the original Greek would be to say, for God in this way loved the world. For God in this way loved the world. God's, God's um, love for the world was not demonstrated in feelings, but in action. For in this way, God demonstrated his love for all humanity. In this way, so loved. Secondly, world. The Greek for world is cosmos. Now I'm a lawyer, so you've got to watch my spelling here, but cosmos is K-O-S-M-O-S. And it was a deliberate choice to use that Greek because the gospel writer John was trying to emphasize God's universal love for all of humanity. God loves the cosmos. He loves everybody. The gospel is for everybody. And that would have been so confronting for Jewish Christians. Remember, in the early church, most of the Christians were Jews. And for them to hear that the God of Israel didn't just love Jews, but he loved everyone would have been so confronting. The God of the universe loves the whole world. God loves everyone. It does not matter your ethnicity, culture, creed, Gentile, Jew, young or old. God loves everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And as Christians, we are called to reflect God's love. Even on social media. I was thinking about this recently, right? Like I've been looking at posts coming up on my Facebook page and Instagram page. And I was thinking about these posts coming through, especially with the elections on recently. And I was, I was reading them and I, and I asked this question, Does, will my post reflect God's love for the world? Will my post reflect God's love for the world? I want to suggest this morning that God so loved the world is more important than my political views. God so loved the world is more important than my views on immigration. God so loved the world is more important than my views on any other subject. God so loved the world is more important than my thoughts on any potential political figure at any time, right? God so loved the world. God so loved the world. How do I reflect God's love? And so I was thinking this. God so loved the world means God is colorblind. He is creed blind. He is culture blind. He is ethnicity blind. He is status blind. So when I go back to my question I asked at the beginning, who is in your photo? Who is in your photo that God is asking you right now to reflect his love for? And the way he does. God so loved the world. I was a partner at a law firm until earlier this year. I left the firm and I decided to set up a, a new legal practice. And I practice as an employment lawyer, and I've said this before on the stage, but I was thinking about what should I name the firm? What should I name the firm? And I was reflecting on it and thinking about it, and I was thinking about a sermon that I wrote years ago now, based on Genesis chapter 127, which says that God made all of human beings, all human beings in his image. He made mankind in his image. And so I wrote a sermon called Watermark that in every single person, there is the image of God, there is the watermark. And if you look, if you look, just, if you look really intently, you can see the watermark. Even in the difficult lawyer on the other side, even in the difficult client, even the difficult judge, and even the difficult mediator, all the difficult people I deal with day in, day out, you can see the watermark. So I named my practice Watermark Employment Law. And I say to my team, half of them are Christian lawyers, half of them are not Christian lawyers. 
But my, my whole team know that at Watermark Employment Law, we are here to see the watermark in everyone. And let me tell you, we deal with some difficult people, difficult, 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 day in, day out. Because, you know, stressful situations at work and all of that. But in every person, no matter how difficult that lawyer is being on the other side, no matter how stubborn they are, God, help me to see the watermark. May I reflect God's love for you and my dealings with you and the way I email you and write to you. You too wrote a beautiful song called When I Look at the World. And the lyrics of the song go like this. When you look at the world, what is it that you see? People find all kinds of things that bring them to their knees. I see an expression so clear and so true that it changes the atmosphere when you walk into the room. So I try to be like you. I try to feel it like you do. But without you, it's no use. I can't see what you see when I look at the world. Without you, it's no use. I can't see what you see when I look at the world. And the prayer of God, help me to see people the way you see them. For God's sake of the world, may I reflect your love for the world. Thirdly, God gives. He gave his one and only son. And here's an odd, there's an odd point here because in John chapter 3, 16, if you just read the two verses before, verses 14 and 15, Jesus refers to an odd story in Numbers. And um, so verse 14 and 15, it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Well, if you go to Numbers chapter 21, which is the story that Jesus is referring to, here's how the story goes. Numbers 21. Then the people of Israel set out from the mountain, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. They began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? There is nothing to eat and nothing to drink. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake. Attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at the pole. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. So they're in the desert. They're grumbling against Moses and against God. Snakes come out and bite a number of the the people of Israel. And then he makes this bronze pole, snake head on the top. And as they looked at the pole, God healed them of their snake bite. What, why on earth is Jesus referring to this oddball story in Numbers in John chapter three? Why? Because I want to suggest this morning that in the desert, God offered the people of God a bronze snake on a pole. Anyone who looked at it would be healed. But the gospel is, here's Jesus contrasting this with the gospel. Now God offers all of humanity, not just the people of God, and not just physical healing, but eternal life. Jesus is saying, you don't have to look at a bronze pole. Look to the sun. The bronze pole in the desert. Look to it and you'll be healed of your snake bite. Look to the sun and you'll have eternal life. Look to the sun and you'll have eternal life. This is not just a a snake pole in the desert. This is the life of my one and only son. The best way I can really illustrate God's love for all humanity is to read this letter out of a book I have at home called Written in History 
Letters That Changed the World. And it's a letter from David Hughes to his parents. David wrote to his parents, 21 August, 1940. My darlings, it's a very long time since I last wrote, and very many things have happened. I've been shot, and I have, sorry, I've shot and been shot at. I have killed, but not been killed. I've had my life saved by a comrade and saved another in return. I am now what is termed as an ace in that I have over five jerrys to my credit. Namely, six machines have been destroyed through my pressing a little button. I arrived in my new squadron on Sunday, August 4. There were three officers senior to me in the squadron. By August 11, I was the CEO. We lost 12 pilots in four days, but after I took over, we only lost one in a week. One day, we were the first squadron to make contact with the enemy, and I led my squadron, 12 of us, against 350 bombers. It was a hell of a scrap. When I landed, I had 150 bullet holes in my machine. On the 18th of August, our squadron was sent down here for a rest, and we needed it. I'd lost a stone in under a fortnight. We'd been flying for six and seven hours a day, missing meals and averaging five hours sleep a day. When we got here, I had a telegram, which read, congratulations, 238 Squadron. Up to today, we've had a quiet time, but the Nazis gave us their attention today and bombed us. I was in the mess when the bombs came and rushed down to the machines. And as I took off the Jerry's machine gunned me, and then I dodged into the clouds and got away. I don't know when we shall return to Wallop, but I expect it will be soon. I'm writing this in my flying kit and waiting for the word to take off. Take care, Mum and Dad. Love, David. Less than a month after this letter, on 11 September 1940, Hughes was shot down over the English Channel and his body wasn't recovered. And as I read that letter, I thought, that is the gospel. A son dying that we may know freedom. That is the gospel message. God gives his son. Finally, God saves. There's a wonderful book which I encourage you to read and get your hands on. It's called Dangerous Wonder. Dangerous Wonder by Mike Iaconoli. And in the book, he talks about, have we lost the wonder of the gospel message? We hear John 3, 16, and we thought, I've heard that that before, but how do we recapture the wonder of the gospel message? Because I want to suggest this morning that sometimes God will fade in our photo when we lose the wonder of the gospel message. You know, we think the gospel message is one of like those, those boring workplace policies that employment lawyers draft that no one cares about and it sits under the computer screen and kind of props it up at work, one of those boring workplace policies. No, no, the gospel is life-giving. The gospel is not like a policy. The gospel is life. In fact, God, I think, comes into the center of our photo when we realize that the gift of the gospel is eternal life. And eternal life is what we need because eternal life deals with our past, our present, and our future. It deals with our past, our present, and our future. It deals with our past because I love this. My favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Eternal life means God has dealt with our past, starting afresh. The new has come. God, let me never forget that the new has come. The old has gone. Eternal life speaks to our present. Eternal life speaks to our present. One Bible commentator wrote it like this. Eternal life is more than endless existence. It is sharing in the life of the eternal one. It is sharing in the life of the eternal one now. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go and do life tomorrow, it is sharing in the life of the eternal one today, tomorrow, right now. Eternal life is for our present 
And thirdly, eternal life speaks to our future. The Bible promises a new heavens and a new earth. We will continue to live out eternal life. But eternal life doesn't start then. Eternal life starts now. The life that deals with our past, our present, and our future. And this is what Paul writes in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation for everyone who believes. And that word power is translated dynamos in Greek, which means dynamite. The gospel is not a workplace policy. It is nothing short of less than dynamite in our lives. It is dynamite because it has the power to transform everything. Our whole perspective on life, perspective on our relationships, our whole perspective on work or finances and marriage, everything. That's what the gospel is. And it's so easy to lose the wonder of the gospel message when we think it is just a few steps to peace with God. You tick some boxes. But that's not the Bible, what the Bible says about the gospel. The the Bible says the gospel is dynamite because it transforms our perspective about everything. The most important prayer in Judaism is is called the Shema. And the Shema is, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And it wasn't just a prayer for the Jews. It was a way of living. In fact, what they would do is that the scribes would write it on a parchment, the schema, and then they would put it in a little box called a mezuzah, and they would tie it from the doorframe in every kind of room in the house. And so every time you walked under the, the doorway, you'd be reminded of the schema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that was your framework, the way you looked at the world around you. You looked at life through the schema. And I wonder this morning, if you were going to write a schema, what would you write? What is your perspective? What is the way you look at the world around you? Because John 3.16 is the schema for life. God acts, God loves, God gives, and God saves. At Wimbledon, at the center court, for every tennis player that goes out, and I haven't done this, but for every tennis player that goes onto center court at Wimbledon, they go into a doorway, and there's a quote on that doorway which is very famous. And as they, they go in out to play that game of tennis, they look up and they'll see this quote. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. That's the schema as you go onto Wimbledon onto center court. What's your schema for life? If you were going to put a schema in a little box and hang it from your doorframe and walk under it as you go out into the world tomorrow, as you do life tomorrow, what would you write down? God acts, God loves, God gives and God saves. And I'm going to invite the band up for a minute and um, in a minute to, um, if you guys want to. And I'm going to finish off with something from Sesame Street because um, Oscar the Grouch reminds me of my wife a little bit in the morning. And um, (laughs) he, um, you know, and Sesame Street has this educational component to it. And uh, Oscar the Grouch, he's a bit grumpy about life and he's having a chat with a child and they're talking about how he should have a better attitude, be a bit more positive. And, and Oscar the Grouch lives in a, basically, a, all this trash is all around him, all this rubbish. And um, he's trying to think, think about how he sees the world around him. And then they, obviously, as Sesame Street grows, they break out in a song. And I think it's a great song. And the song is entitled, I See a Kingdom. And here are the lyrics. Listen up, because this is all I have to say. This could be the thing to get you on your way. Just imagine what is old and new again. Maybe then you'll understand, I tell you, take a look around and tell me that you don't see just a worthless pile of garbage and debris. I see a kingdom shining bright. I can see the colors coming through. You'll find the beauty if you look at something right. It's all about your point of view. And life is all about your point of view. 
Everywhere you look, a story can be told, and the tales they tell are worth their weight in gold. In a place that's filled with mountains made of trash, rotting castaways and broken bits of glass, I dare you, take a look around and tell me that you don't see just a a worthless pile of garbage and debris, because I see a kingdom. I see a kingdom shine bright, and life is all about your point of view, your point of view. John 3.16 transforms our perspective on everything because it is about who God is and what he has done so that all of humanity might come to know him. And so as I finish this morning, I really, I was actually gonna give you a little piece of paper and you could write with a photo frame, you could put where God is, but I want you to reflect on this week. I encourage you to reflect on this week. I've been reflecting this week as I've been preparing this message. Where is God in my photo? Where is God in your photo? The gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends here this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you that the gospel is nothing short of dynamite. And I just, um, and, and I pray that this message, Lord, would just not be another kind of sermon to kind of tick the box. But Lord, I pray, Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the gospel, that it would be our schema, that it would be our perspective, the way we see the world around us. Lord, we are frail and when we struggle, but I pray you'd help us and we look to you, Lord, to help us in this journey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.